Um, today, in part five of preparing for promotion, I want to talk to you about be loyal. Be loyal. Um, whenever you're a loyal person, you keep your commitments even when it's very difficult, even when it's hard to do. When you're a loyal person, you walk in on that friend when everybody else walks out on that friend. When you're a loyal person, you're with that person in the good times, when everybody's praising them, when they're making money, when things are great, and when you're loyal, you're with them in the tough times, when people are coming against them, when nothing good is happening to them, when they failed, when they've messed up. A loyal person is there whenever they're, you're on the mountaintop, you know, people are singing your praises, they're there with you when you're down in the valley. A loyal friend will praise you behind your back when other people are talking bad about you behind your back. It says in Proverbs 20, verse 6, many people claim to be loyal, but a faithful friend who can find. I'm going to prove to you today for the next 21 minutes that loyalty and commitment will earn you one of the biggest rewards by Almighty God than almost anything you can do in the entire Bible. Um, I think about whenever Saul was trying to kill David. David uh, was there alone. He didn't have anybody except for Jonathan. Jonathan could have thought this, I'm not going to tell David my secrets. I'm not going to tell David how my dad's trying to kill him. I'm not going to help him because if David dies, then I'll be the next king again. If David gets killed, then I'm back to being on the throne. But Jonathan knew that God will promote loyalty and God will promote commitment and faithfulness above almost anything else. See, we read a lot about David. We read about David's successes and he killed giants and he conquered 10,000. We don't read that much about Jonathan. There's a few times it talks about him in these chapters we're reading. Not that big of a deal, you think. But if you go to David in heaven and you say, David, tell me how you made it. Tell me how you got through the most difficult times of your life. Tell me how you made it to the throne. Tell me how you made it through that depression. When you were running for your life, when your boss was treating you horribly, when he was trying to kill you or have you killed, tell me, how did you get to the throne of Israel? And David will say, it wasn't by my, uh, uh, my, my experience. It wasn't by my knowledge. It wasn't by my education. It wasn't by my strength. It wasn't by uh, my talent. The reason I got to the throne of Israel is because I had a friend named Jonathan. And Jonathan came to me and encouraged me when nobody else would. Jonathan was loyal to me, even when his own father was trying to have me killed. Jonathan was committed to our relationship. He made a commitment and he stuck to his commitment. And no promotion, no opportunity, no amount of money, not even the throne itself stopped Jonathan from being loyal to me in our relationship. Proverbs 27, 17 says, One friend sharpens another, just as iron sharpens iron. We read this and we think, you know what? I need to find a friend who will sharpen me. I need to find somebody who will encourage me, who will be there for me. But you're reading it in a selfish light if you read it that way. What we really should be reading is, who can I sharpen? Who can I go to and encourage? See, we love to use all of our energy and our money and our, 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 our time on making our own dreams come true. But if you want God's favor for your dreams, you have to go to somebody else and help their dreams come true. You have to help them succeed, them make it. 
whenever, whenever, whenever I read this, you would automatically think, well, David was the superior one. David was the man. David was the hero. He should have been encouraging Jonathan, but it wasn't like that. This tells me that everybody needs encouragement. No matter how popular you are, you can have people singing about you, conquering 10,000, but you still need somebody to come in and sharpen you and encourage you. We all need it. We should be the kind of person that looks for somebody to encourage, looks for somebody to sharpen. You know, our prayer usually is, God, help me be a David. Help me conquer. Help me win. Help me defeat the giants. But equally, I personally pray just as much, help me be a David. I pray, help me be a Jonathan. God, put people in my life who I need to help them succeed. Put people in my life who I can be committed to through thick, through thin, when everything's great, when everything's bad. doesn't matter. It says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 16, that Jonathan went to David and encouraged him. Went to him. He was aggressive. He was on the lookout. Um, I think about in every movie, in every play, in every TV show, there's always a lead character. The lead character has their name uh, on the marquee. The lead character, the spotlight's always on them. The lead character makes the most money. There's the first name you see in the credits. The lead character always looks great. They, they win the girl in the end. They beat the bad guy. But the reason the lead character is so good is because they have a supporting cast. The supporting role person, they're always the ones that, that, that looks up to the lead character. The supporting role sets up this humorous line so the lead character can step in and say just the right thing and everybody laugh. The, the, the supporting character is the one that is always making sure the lead character looks confident, make sure they're doing a good job, always make sure they look great in the limelight. We're all called to play the lead character at some point in our destiny, and that's the fun character. That's the easy one. We can all play the lead very, very easily, but we're just as called, just as destined to play the supporting role in somebody else's movie. You have a movie of your own where you're the lead and God will send people your way. But in the same sense, we are also called to be a part of somebody else's movie. We're called to find somebody that God has put in my life that we made a decision. Whether they're good, bad, or ugly, we're going to be there. We're going to support them. We're going to show them mercy. We're going to be faithful to them. I, I read about this famous basketball player, uh, this basketball coach. And um, anytime any of his basketball players would uh, make a shot or win a game, he would just sit there on the bench and do nothing. But every time they missed a shot, every time they missed the free throw, every time they fouled out and something bad happened, he would jump up as quick as he could and run over to them, and he'd pat them on the back, and he'd say something encouraging to them, and he'd remind them how good they are. And this went on for so many years that finally it started to become known in the NBA that this coach was like this. And so a reporter came to him, and they interviewed him, and they said, tell us, why is it every time your players are doing great, every time they win a game, they make a basket, you don't do nothing. You stay ice cold. But every time they lose... Every time they fail, every time they miss, you're the first one out there to encourage them. Why do you do that? The coach said, that's easy. Whenever they make a shot, whenever they win a game, whenever they dunk it with perfection, the whole crowd is screaming their name. Everybody's shouting their praises then. It's when they mess up, when they fail, when they do something wrong, that's when they need a friend more than any other time in their life. Are you that kind of friend? Are you that kind of person? Are you loyal to your job? Are you loyal to your family? Are you loyal to your church? In 1 Kings chapter 19, it talks about this young teenager named Elisha. 
Um, Elisha just happens to have a similar name as his boss or as the prophet Elijah. Anyway, in 1 Kings 19.21, it says that Elisha followed Elijah as his servant, his assistant, his helper, and his right-hand man. Basically, Elisha would cook and clean for this old guy. In fact, there's one story where we read where Elisha opens the door for, for the guy. So the guy didn't even have to get it. If someone comes to the house, Elisha would go and greet the person so Elijah could stay in his room and spend time with God and do his thing. Elisha just did any kind of menial tasks he could possibly think of to help Elijah. I'm sure people made fun of Elisha and said, listen, man, you're wasting your time. You're a teenager. You got big dreams. Don't you want to have a ministry of your own? Why are you wasting time with this old prophet? But Elisha knew the principle of being loyal, being committed. He knew the importance of playing a supporting role. He knew that if he could play that supporting role to the best of his ability, then one day God will put him as the lead character and help his dreams come true. But he had to sow a seed first. At one point in Elijah's life, he was coming to death, near death. He was about to get taken up in a whirlwind. And in 2 Kings 2, verse 2, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here as I go to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Isn't that so interesting? Elijah gave him permission. You can leave. I don't need you. You've been good. He said, No, no, no. There's something about me being committed to you. God puts you in my life for a reason. I'm supposed to be loyal. You're not going to get rid of me that easy. Two verses later, in verse 4, Elijah said to Elisha, Well, stay here as I go to Jericho. But Elisha replied, As the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Once again, he tried to get rid of him. Um, this it makes me think of, of, of Michael Godby, and I normally make fun of Michael because he's confident he can handle it, but I'm being serious today. Um, Michael and Sarah are the two people that our church is blessing to send out with Pastor Pam as she starts her new church. And um, when God gives someone a, a, a vision for a new church and as a senior pastor, the vision is totally different than anything else. It's not going to be anything like Solid Rock. Totally unique vision to what God's given Pastor Pam. Well, Michael, him and Sarah, their last service with us is next Sunday, and then they're going to go out and step out in faith. Well, this past week, I was up here looking at the mezzanine, and the guys were working, and Michael was here working on the mezzanine. And I thought, he can't be here for that. He's probably here to pick up something, you know, just come by and say hey and leave. He was here working his butt off. And I thought, why is he doing it? He's leaving in a few weeks. He's going to be part of something totally different. He's not going to experience all the camera things we're going to get. He's not going to experience the new seats we're going to put at the back, the people that are going to come in. Yet, even though he's leaving in a few weeks, he still said, if I said I was going to help, I'm going to be up here and I'm going to help. In verse 6, Elijah said, stay here as I go to Jordan. Elisha replied, as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Three times Elijah tried to get rid of him. Three times he said, you've been faithful, that's it, we're done, it's over. But Elisha knew this. He said, Elijah, I was with you in the good times when you were defeating the prophets of Baal, when you were prophesying all over the place, whenever you conquered that witch Jezebel, and I'm going to be with you and committed to you in the tough times, when you're near death, when you're at the end of your ministry, when you're not doing very exciting things. Whether it's exciting or not, I'm with you. Whether everything is great or not, I'm with you. Whether you're making money or not, I'm with you. I'm loyal. I'm committed to you. Elisha stayed committed. Finally, in that same chapter, a few verses later, Elijah says to him in verse 9, he said, Okay, um, what can I do for you before I'm taken away? Elisha said, Give me a double portion of your spirit. Now, here's the reward I want you to see for loyalty, okay? 
Whenever Elijah died, Elisha became twice as powerful, twice as anointed, twice the joy, twice the peace, twice the money, twice the popularity. In fact, if you study the scriptures, he literally did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. Okay, here's what I want you to see. If Elisha had not stayed loyal, if he, you know, somehow found something more exciting to do, decided he was going to leave when things got tough, let's say that Elisha only pushed up Elijah to a number five. That means little did he know God was going to double it and give him ten. Let's say Elisha pushed Elijah up to a 50, encouraged him every day, stayed with him, but every now and then he wavered. Well, little did he know God was going to get him to 100. But because Elisha pushed up Elijah to 100, little did he know God was going to give him 200. The entire time Elisha encouraged, stayed loyal, committed to Elijah, God was storing up a double anointing for him personally. I read something this past week that says this, there's something wrong with your character if opportunity controls loyalty. There's something wrong with your character if opportunity controls whether or not you're being loyal. When I read this, I thought of a few things. Number one, I thought of be loyal to your job. Uh, You might not realize it, but whoever hired you, they believed in you. I don't care if you're working at McDonald's, they gave you a job. There were other people that could have had your job, but they didn't. Somebody thought something of you enough to pay you a salary to give you money for you to work there. Don't leave that place just because you're offered more money from somebody else. I've learned that sometimes liking your coworkers and having a decent boss is better than all the money in the world you get from somewhere that you're not going to enjoy. If you do leave that place, leave with integrity. Thank that person. Write them a letter. Say, I'm grateful that you gave me a job when I didn't have a job. I'm grateful that you said, I don't like these people. They don't treat me right. I don't care. You give honor where honor is due. If there's one thing your boss has done right and 99 things wrong, you focus on the one thing. Don't write a letter and say, I'm leaving because you stink and I'm leaving because I don't like the person next to me and I'm leaving because you don't pay me enough. No, no. You can say, I believe God's opening up another door for me, but I'm giving you two weeks notice. I'm going to have integrity. I'm going to be loyal to this place. Another thing is this, be loyal to our country. Be loyal to our country. You know, I'm not a a political person, and I'm very, very ignorant in that area. My dad is incredibly intelligent. He's studied all history and loves all that stuff. All I know is this, and here's my personal view on political stuff. After somebody has already made it to office, why in the world does it do any good for us to bash them and talk about what we don't like and don't agree with? After the president has already made presidency, until re-election or the next election, can't we just find one thing we like about him or her in that office and talk about that? If you say a negative, all this negative and unproductive verbiage that we say about somebody that's already in office, is it going to really change anything to do that? All it does is make things worse. It makes Facebook depressing. It causes you to think bad about your country. If you don't like this country, move to another one. Nobody's stopping you. (laughs) Okay, here's the third one. Ready? I didn't know y'all were political like that. Be loyal to our church. This church is more than just John Paul. It is not me. This church is compromised of people who need Jesus, love Jesus, have real problems, but serve a real God. 
This church is our youth leaders, our music leaders, our ushers, our servants, our teachers, our Bible study facilitators. This church is more than John Paul. Don't ever let anybody talk bad about your church. Don't let anybody ever talk bad about your friends in this church. If you hear somebody saying something negative, you may know something negative about somebody that you're sitting in the pew with right now. There may be 99 things wrong with them. They may have every addiction in the world. But if there's one thing you like, if you only like their hair color, that one thing, talk about that. We are loyal to you. We're not going to let people talk bad about you if you're part of Solid Rock. I don't care what problems you have or what you've done wrong in life. If you're part of this church, we're committed to you, and we expect you to be committed to us. If the sermon's not good, it's no reason to leave. If somebody offends you, it's no reason to leave. God's called you to this place. Be like Elisha. Stay committed. Anytime you feel deep inside that maybe you're going to break a commitment or you're going to leave a friend or you're going to leave a church or leave a place, I need you to look way down the road at the double anointing that's available for you. You need to look way down the road at the double joy, double peace, double wisdom that God's wanting to bless you with, that he has prepared for you, but it's not for everybody. The double anointing isn't common. It's not ordinary. It's not everybody you see around you. It's for people that choose to be loyal and committed and faithful where God has them in the good times and even in the bad times. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love quietly covers all things. It's ready to believe the best. And here we go. Love is always loyal. It's always loyal. I'll tell you two stories. I'll let you go. One is about this man named Jim Baker. If you're my age or older, you know who Jim Baker was. But for those of you that don't, Jim Baker was the most popular televangelist in the world during the 70s and 80s. He started a ministry called PTL, Praise the Lord Network. He was seen all over the world. He was bringing in millions and millions and millions of dollars. He had television shows. He had a museum and theme park. In fact, the PTL Network Missionary Grounds and Theme Park was the second attraction to everything in the United States of America. Disneyland and Disney World were one, and PTL was number two. Jim Baker started off good. He had integrity. He was humble. But like Saul, greed got the best of him. Long story short, Jim Baker committed adultery. Jim Baker stole millions and millions of dollars from Christians, from other churches all over the world. And he went to prison because he was indicted on 24 federal accounts, 24 federal indictments. Here he is in prison. He's supposed to have been there for 60, 70, 80 years, but he got out on good sentence. But while he was in there, he's in prison, and his job in the penitentiary was cleaning the toilets. He had just got done cleaning a whole bunch of urinals. He had smelled like filth. He was disgusting. And the guard came up to him and said, Jim, you got a visitor. He said, well, it's not even visiting hours. Who's going to visit me? See, Jim Baker's family all left him. His friends all left him. While he was in prison, he admitted to his mistakes. He apologized, and he even wrote a book about how it was his fault. Yet the prison guard said, there's somebody here to see you. We've made an exception for this person. They put Jim Baker in a holding cell. He told her he was looking down on the ground. He was so embarrassed, so nasty, so filthy. And when he barely looked up, he saw some shiny black shoes walking toward him. He looked up even higher, and it was an older man with his arms open wide. As he got closer, he realized it was Billy Graham. He stood up. He said, Billy, you can't touch me. I'm nasty. Don't get near me. Billy would not stop. He ran over to Jim Baker, and he gave him a big bear hug and lifted him up in the air. 
He said, I came here to just tell you this. I love you. I care about you. And you're going to get through this. Jim Baker told how that was the turning point. That forever changed his life. He was contemplating suicide up until that very day. When Jim Baker got out of prison, uh, Franklin Graham, that's Billy Graham's son, called him up and said, listen, we know you have no money. We know you have nothing. We want to rent you out a house and buy you a car to drive. Jim Baker said, have you lost your mind? You would be so much negative publicity. You can't be associated with somebody like me. I've stolen millions of dollars from Christians all around the world, and you're giving me money from your ministry. You can't do it. Franklin Graham said, I was your friend before you went to prison, and I'm going to be your friend afterwards. Next week, Jim Baker gets out of jail. His first Sunday out of prison, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, calls him on the phone and says, listen, we're going to send a limousine to come pick you up for church with us. He thought, well, that sounds weird, but I guess I'll do it. So they drove that limousine, picked him up Sunday morning, took him to the front of the church. It was a huge church, thousands and thousands of people. There were ushers assigned to escort Jim Baker out of the limo down to the very front row. They were assigned to sit him in a reserve seat. The whole church was packed. Every seat was filled except for two, one on both sides of Jim Baker. He thought that was unusual. He didn't know what to think. All of a sudden, the music started and stage left. A door opened up and Billy Graham and Ruth Graham came walking out from the stage in front of all these people, television cameras everywhere, and they sat right next to their friend Jim Baker, one on both sides. They put their arm around them. They were saying, listen, we love you. We were loyal to you. We were committed to being your friend when you were doing everything right. We're committed to you when everything in your life was going wrong. We're not going to leave you just because you made a mistake. Galatians 6 1 says, If any friend has been overtaken in sin, you who are spiritual, who are spiritual, should gently restore him. Now, I agree, there are some people in our life that don't want to be restored. There are some people who don't want to admit fault, who want to blame it on everybody else. With those people, you just leave them to God. And when you're loyal to somebody, it doesn't mean you approve of everything they've done. It simply means that you're showing them the same mercy that you want God and other people to show you when you are overtaken in sin at some point in your life. Two years ago, when I was about to start Solid Rocket Market Common, um, I was very nervous, very afraid, didn't know what to think. And Pastor Pam um, was my boss at a Methodist church years ago. And I called her up, and she was stepping out from the church that she was up there. Her time was up there. And every church in Horry County wanted her because every pastor knows what a great assistant pastor she is. She decided to come to Solid Rock not because of the money, believe me. She decided to come to Solid Rock not because of the position. She could have got that at any other church. She came to Solid Rock simply because we're friends. And she knew I needed somebody. In 2006, whenever I started preaching, I was 26 years old and nobody gave me a chance. Nobody thought I could preach. Nobody thought I could make it. Except for this one old country man. He's not like me at all. We have different churches. He's short, old, African-American, bald, and his name is Reverend Randall, and he's a Pentecostal holiness fireball preacher. But he came to me, 
And he said, listen, if you think God's called you to preach, I'm going to help you. He helped me get the 5013C together. He gave me wisdom. He supported me. He encouraged me. He drove all the way from Little River every single week for the first six months just to help me. You may never hear Reverend Randall preach a sermon. You don't see him up on stage right now, but he's here with me. He's here when nobody else believed in me. He stayed loyal and committed when I didn't have anybody else to support me. It says in Proverbs 17, 17, one translation says this, a true friend is loyal in good times and is loyal in the bad times as well. Last story I'll tell you about, it's a true story of these two friends named Jim and Philip. They grew up together and did everything together. They went to school together. They went to high school. They played sports together. They went to college together. In fact, after college, Jim and Philip both joined the Marines. They were inseparable. One day on the battlefield in Germany, amidst all this gunfire and bombs and explosion, bullets all around, they were given the orders to retreat. All of these Marines, all these soldiers are running back with their commanding officer. Jim looked around in all the chaos, and he couldn't find his friend Philip anywhere. His heart was gripped with fear. When he finally made it back, he asked the commanding officer, Can I go back in there and find my friend? The commanding officer said, no, you cannot. That would be like committing suicide if you go back in there. Without missing a beat, Jim defied orders and ran back towards the bullets, back towards the bombs exploding, back towards the chaos and the gunfire. A few minutes later, his team, the commanding officer, they saw Jim hobbling across the field carrying a lifeless body. It was his friend, Philip. He fell down under the weight right there in front of the officer. The commanding officer began to yell. He said, I told you not to go back in there. You could have been killed. I knew your friend was already dead. Jim said, no, sir, you're wrong. He was not dead. When I got to him, he was still alive. And his last words were, I knew you'd be back for me. Listen, don't be a fair-weathered friend. Don't be loyal only when everything's going your way. Don't be committed just when everything's fun and exciting. Don't let opportunities of more money or something that looks like it'll stroke your ego or your pride, don't let that cause you to not be committed to the people that God's put in your life. If you'll be like a Jonathan, play the supporting role. Encourage that person that's in the limelight, knowing that God has a limelight for you. If you'll do that, I promise you, not only will you be promoted, but you'll get that double anointing that God has for those that are loyal, committed, and faithful. Amen.